Hello, this is Patricia, welcoming you to the 2226th edition of the Enfield Talking newspaper, dateline 13th of March 2020. The readers this week are Catherine, Ross and Patricia, with Dem on the controls. The editing was by Team B. And the production and distribution team is Peter, Jean, Sandra and Jane. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernand Bouillon and Harry Breuer, performed by Jean-Jacques Perry, and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we'll be reading come from the Enfield Independent and the Enfield Dispatch, under their copyright. The events information has been collated by us from other sources. The lead story this week, Campaign Against Flats on Listed Tube Station Car Park. Now, before we start, we go into the news. Uh, The sunset times for the week beginning Monday the 16th of March are sunrise 6.11am and sunset 6.7pm. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane de Jersey on 020-8805-6578. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. And now Catherine will read the first item of local news. Campaign against flats on listed tube station car park. Campaigners have slammed ridiculous plans to build blocks of flats at a Grade 2 listed suburban tube station. A group called Save Cock Fosters has been set up to oppose plans by Connected Living London, a partnership between Transport for London, TFL, and developer Granger, to build around 370 homes on the car parks at Cock Fosters Underground Station. The campaigners say the station was originally built as a cop as a park and ride facility into central London in the 1930s and it is still used by hundreds of commuters today. TfL has previously admitted three quarters of the people who use Cockfosters station car park travel in from outside the M25. A spokesperson for Save Cockfosters said Cockfosters is at the end of the line in a semi-rural location next to the Green Belt. And it's a ridiculous idea to remove the car park forever. As an end-of-the-line station, it plays an important role as a park-and-ride facility. The campaigners say Cockfosters Station and its original car park is a Grade 2 listed heritage site, and the car park lies within a designated conservation area encompassing nearby Trent Park. Despite this, Enfield Council planning chiefs have said the developer does not need to submit a report detailing the likely environmental impact of the scheme. Council planning officers say an environmental impact assessment is not needed because the scheme does not involve development in a particularly environmentally sensitive or vulnerable location. The Save Cockfosters spokesperson said, If a listed building and car park within a conservation area isn't environmentally sensitive, what is? 
TfL, said the current station car parks, built in the 1960s and 1970s, decades after the original station and car park, are not included in the historical, Historic England listing. It added that around 95% of car park users have an underground, overground or national rail station closer to their home than Cockfosters underground station. Ben Tate, head of Build to Rent at TfL, said, Working in partnership with Granger as Connected Living London, we are developing our designs with great consideration being given to the character and important heritage of the local area alongside extensive engagement with the local community. By building alongside the urban edge of Cockfosters, we are working to deliver sustainable growth and homes that help to protect the green belt while improving pedestrian access to Trent Park so that countryside is more easily accessible for the public. Alongside providing a range of improvements, such as attractive public space, the development would deliver a shift to more sustainable modes of transport by providing better facilities for pedestrians and cyclists, including new pathways and cycle parking. Save Cockfosters will hold a public meeting about the plans at Christchurch House, Chalk Lane, Cockfosters on Thursday, March the 19th at 7pm. There will also be a protest outside Cockfosters tube station on Wednesday, April 1st at 8am. That's not a joke. A petition, a petition against the scheme has so far attracted almost 3,000 signatures. Enfield Council was approached for comment. Council overcharged for cleaning service. Apology after tenants charged £40 extra. Hundreds of tenants were overcharged for a cleaning service due to a bungle by Haringey Council. The mix-up led to 746 tenants paying nearly £40 extra over the course of a year for a service to clean communal lobbies in Victorian and Edwardian street properties that have been converted into flats. Instead of paying £1.20 per week in 2019-20, to they were charged £1.93 per week because the council missed out the leaseholder from the sums when working out the tenant charge. In another blunder, 528 tenants were charged more than £50 during 2018-19 for a service they did not receive. They began paying for the cleaning service in April, but it didn't start until January 2019. Haringey Council and its housing arm, Homes for Haringey, have apologised for the mistake and say that affected tenants are being refunded. Tenant campaigner Paul Burnham from Haringey Defend Council Housing said, This is a crystal clear case of revenue-driven service charging. We have been objecting to service charges for years, but this is the first time that the money has been repaid to tenants. The tenants will face higher bills for the cleaning service from April this year, um, up from £1.20 to £1.77 per week. Haringey Defend Council Housing says service charge should be £1.11 per week, but the council has ruled out making a reduction. 
Cabinet Member for Housing and Estate Renewal, Councillor Ermin Ibrahim, said the Council and Homes for Haringey accept that we made mistakes in the way these service charges were calculated and the way the service was provided. We apologise to tenants and leaseholders for this and are refunding those residents who were overcharged. We do, however, now believe that the new service charge accurately reflects the cost of providing the service. If we reduce these charges, we would knowingly be asking other Haringey residents to subsidise the service, which they don't receive. The Council will be ensuring that Homes for Haringey deliver the service that residents pay for. That clearly did not happen here, and let me reiterate, this was unacceptable. Neighbours turn out to support low traffic project. Campaigners have joined together to support plans for a low low traffic neighbourhood scheme in Enfield. More than 75 people from Fox Lane LTN Group met at the Amberley Road Play Street in Palmer's Green and unveiled a Yes to Low Traffic banner on February the 23rd. The campaigners support the council's plans to make the neighbourhood safer by discouraging through traffic in streets surrounding Fox Lane, which runs between Green Lanes and Bourne Hill. One of the eight quieter neighbourhood projects being planned across Enfield, the scheme aims to encourage walking and cycling and to cut air pollution. Jeremy Hay Campbell, a spokesman for the Fox Lane LTN group, said, The pollution and safety issues we face on a daily basis are no longer acceptable. This has to stop and it needs to stop now. Enfield Council faced criticism from residents and councillors when the initial plans for the Fox Lane scheme were unveiled in November last year. Some residents warned the scheme would effectively block traffic from travelling on a a major east-west route across the borough, and this would push congestion and pollution onto other roads. The original proposals showed 16 road entrances surrounding Fox Lane closed to cars and buses with only cyclists allowed through. Just two access points for motorists were shown at either end of Fox Lane. Mr Hay Campbell said the Fox Lane LTN group had drawn up alternative proposals designed to address some of the issues with the plans, including the small number of entry and exit points. In an update published on February the 24th, the Council's Healthy Street team confirmed changes would be made to the original design in response to more than a 1,000 comments received during a six-week consultation. The update says the use of automatic number plate recognition is unlikely to be the right solution for every street corner across the borough. After the revised plans are shared with the community, a trial period is expected to take place before a formal public consultation is held. Four new electoral wards to be created. The electoral map of Enfield has been redrawn to ensure local politics remains representative as the borough's population grows. Four new electoral wards look set to be created following a review by the Local Government Boundary Commission for England, taking the total number of wards to 25. Enfield would still have 63 councillors, but while all wards currently have three councillors, some would only have two following the shake-up. 
All the current ward boundaries would change and some would be renamed. The changes are designed to ensure the number of voters represented by each councillor is roughly the same across the borough, while maintaining community identities. The Commission's recommendations include the creation of new Whitewebs and Ridgeway wards covering the current Chase ward. Another new ward, Highfield, would be created to the east of Palmer's Green. Carterhatch, Brimsdown and Ballsmore wards would cover parts of the northeast of the borough currently covered by Turkey Street and Enfield Highway. Under the recommendations, there would be 12 wards with two councillors, Arnosgrove, Bowes, Bullsmore, Carterhatch, Cockfosters, Grange Park, Highfield, New Southgate, Oakwood, Palmer's Green, Ponders End and Winchmore Hill. The rest would have three. If the changes are approved by Parliament, they will come into force at council elections in 2022. Boundary Commission Chairman Professor Colin Mellers said, We are extremely grateful to people across Enfield who took part in the review. The Commission has looked at all the evidence that was put forward during the consultation. We believe these recommendations deliver electoral fairness for voters as well as reflecting community ties throughout Enfield. Council leader, Councillor Nezol Chaliskan, Labour Jubilee, said... Labour Enfield Group made a submission to the Boundary Commission a few months ago. The new proposals have in part taken on board our suggestions. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what the boundaries are, Labour candidates will always fight for every vote and Labour councillors will always represent all residents in their wards. The Conservative Group was also approached for comment. Events aim to raise awareness of FGM. A series of community events and outreach programmes are being held in the borough to highlight the mental and physical impact of female genital mutilation, FGM. Thousands of women living in Enfield are estimated to have been affected by FGM, according to the latest figures from Enfield Council's public health team. The first of the community events was held at Edmonton Green Shopping Centre in February, the date of the International Day of Zero Tolerance for FGM. It was hosted by Amata de Monke, an activist, campaigner and survivor of FGM who lives in Enfield. She was accompanied by volunteers and Enfield Council officers who gave passers-by advice, leaflets and resources. Enfield Council's Cabinet Member for Public Health, Councillor Mutab Udin, said a substantial number of women living in Enfield have been affected by FGM. Large numbers of girls in Enfield may also be at risk because they have been born into communities where FGM is more likely to be practised. It is good that our campaign has started just before school half-term holidays when girls could be at risk from being taken abroad FGM must be confronted. It can no longer be seen as a problem for other countries far away to deal with. It could be your child's friend, a neighbour or colleague right here on your doorstep, surviving with the effects. It's our duty to help make sure girls and women are safe and can get the help and protection they need. In Enfield, the North Middlesex University Hospital Iris Clinic 
specially provides care and support for experiencing problems as a result of FGM. Grace Aidu, lead midwife for the Irish Clinic, said, FGM has serious health consequences that can cause long-term emotional, physical and psychological damage. I encourage women to come and use our services where they will. They will be treated with dignity and get the support they so very much need. Care firm closed. A company set up by Enfield Council to provide adult social care is being wound up after less than five years. The council decided to bring the wholly owned company Independence and Wellbeing Enfield, IWE, back into direct local authority control. It comes after IWE struggled to compete with private sector providers and became an administrative burden. The council set up IWE in December 2015 to look after some of the most vulnerable people in the borough while raising income and saving money. One of the main ways it was supposed to bring in extra cash was by providing services to other councils. But a cabinet report said IWE had not been able to develop wider commercial opportunities in a social care market that was extremely challenged by many years of austerity. Several social care firms in Enfield provide services to other councils, as well as the NHS, because of lower property prices. Competing with these firms would have meant lowering IWE's staff terms and conditions. Councillors agreed to insource the service at a recent Cabinet meeting. Councillor Alev Kazimoglu, Cabinet Member for Health and Social Care, said, It's a very difficult commercial environment for social care providers, and bringing the services back in-house would simplify the governance arrangements, and it's in line with the current administration's policy of insourcing services where it makes sense to do so. While three out of four regulated services provided by IWE are rated good by the social care watchdog, the Care Quality Commission, QCQ, inspectors spotted problems at Bridgewood House. Opened just two years ago, it was rated requires improvement following inspections in 2018 and 2019. Council leader Nezor Chaliskan added, Insourcing demonstrates there are better outcomes for our residents. Outsourcing does not save money for the public sector. Specialist care home planned. And this is by Simon Allen, local democracy reporter. A specialist care home designed to help older people live independently for longer has won planning permission. Reardon Court Extra Care Home in Cosgrove Close, Winchmore Hill, will provide 91 homes for affordable rent in blocks up to four storeys high. The self-contained flats, which will mainly be one-bedroom units, will come equipped with a kitchen, bathroom and living space. They will be built around a courtyard featuring trees, communal tables and chairs and a pentank ball game court. Patank, patankway, ball game court. Care workers will be available on site around the clock in case any of the residents need assistance. The home is designed to help people live healthy and active lives while allowing them to keep their links to the local community. The old two-storey Reardon Court nursing home, closed in 2016, will be 
will be knocked down to make way for the new larger building. There were four objections to the scheme, with one neighbour calling the building design ugly, but Akram Hamuda, an associate architect at Pick Everard, defends the plans. He said, It is not something intrusive. It will fit into the context of the surrounding buildings. The extra care home will cater for people with physical and mental health conditions, including dementia. Demand for this type of accommodation is set to rise, as the borough's population of over 65s is growing more rapidly than the England average. There are currently 1,435 people over the age of 65 in specialist accommodation in the borough, projected to rise to more than 2,000 people by 2030. As well as helping older people, the scheme is expected to save the council around £740,000 a year on care placements. Nine councillors voted in favour of the plans, with one abstaining. Councillor accused of threatening behaviour. A former deputy leader of Enfield Council has become the second elected official in under a year to face accusations of bullying. Councillor Daniel Anderson, a Labour councillor who represents Southgate Green, could be banned from council offices for two months after four members of staff complained about his behaviour. In a letter to Councillor Anderson, seen by the Enfield Independent, Enfield Council's monitoring of officer ruled he had breached the local authorities' code of conduct and bullied officers. Councillor Anderson, who is deputy leader of the council from May 2018 to May 2019, and before that cabinet member for the environment, has denied the allegations and said he would appeal against the decision. The monitoring officer's letter details claims by three council officers that Councillor Anderson engaged in threatening and uncontrolled behaviour. All three said Councillor Anderson called them idiots, while two claimed he threatened they could lose their jobs. A fourth officer, whose case is detailed separately, claimed Councillor Anderson threatened him by stating he would cut his effing balls off and that he would be sacked. According to the investigating officer, all four complaints said, complainants said Councillor Anderson's behaviour crossed a line from robust and challenging to aggressive and threatening. The monitoring officer states Councillor Anderson failed to treat officers with respect on several occasions, breaching two parts of the Code of Conduct. His letter also states that on several occasions, Councillor Anderson's behaviour went beyond robust challenge and legitimate free expression and mounted to bullying of officers. Councillor Anderson has been told to issue a written apology and to promise not to repeat the behaviour. It is the second time in under a year that Enfield Council has been hit by reports of bullying. In June last year, Council Leader Councillor Nezel Kaliskan was found to have bullied a colleague and breached the Code of Conduct following an investigation. Commenting on the current case, Councillor Kaliskan said, It is utterly unacceptable that any council officer has had to endure such experiences. On Friday, March the 6th, Councillor Anderson issued a press statement emphatically denying the allegations and findings of the investigation. He criticised the report for being written in haste and the verdict was based on hearsay from a handful of officers. 
Councillor Anderson also added completely unsubstantiated and un- often libelous allegations against me have been accepted as a given, whilst internal guidelines, procedures and protocols under which I have been investigated have been breached. I will therefore be appealing the decision and will bring to bear the full weight of evidence that will prove my case. Funds used to create new clean-up team. Cleaners will regularly patrol the streets. Money raised from Enfield Council's flagship £6 billion Meridian Water Project is being spent on street cleaning in Edmonton. A dedicated clean-up team is now in place and will regularly patrol the area around 4th Street and the Joyce and Snells estate as part of wider efforts by the council to tackle problems identified by residents and businesses. Enfield's council leader, Councillor Nezo Chaliskan, said... People living in and around 4th Street told us they thought the area needed more regular cleaning, so we've done what they asked. We're a listening council which works hard to improve its residents' quality of life. We are working incredibly hard to improve Enfield and we'll not allow any part of our borough to feel neglected. This investment builds on the £500,000 we allocated to tackle fly-tipping and littering last year and we'll continue to allocate resources to keep Enfield tidy. The money funds the new dedicated cleaning team, and this programme will be expanded to tackle crime and disorder, another issue raised as a concern by people living and working in the borough. This will enable the recruitment of specialist officers to tackle antisocial behaviour in the area. The £6 billion Meridian Water Project will provide 10,000 homes and 6,000 jobs and create 8.2 hectares of parkland in the Lee Valley over the coming 25 years. And this comes from um, the local N21 magazine, uh, entitled Community Connection. Local Dad's decade-long fundraising journey hits £30,000 for Noah's Ark. When... Recently bereaved dad, Steve Kelly from Enfield, was sitting in the pub shortly before his 40th birthday. He realised that his friends were about to spend lots of money on his birthday event. Money that could be spent on something closer to his heart. Steve and his wife Rachel were supported by Noah's Ark during the life of their daughter Jessica, who died in 2010, aged six. So when Steve decided to ditch the traditional birthday bash for something more charitable, Noah's Ark was the cause that immediately sprung to mind. From 2010 onwards, Steve has organised an annual fundraising event around the time of his own birthday, which is the same time of year as Jessica's birthday. This year's event, a musical bingo night, marked the 10th anniversary of the birthday fundraising extravaganza. It's tipped Steve's contributions to the charity to over £30,000. In the past, he's run events such as wine tasting, casino nights and race nights. Noah's Ark supported the family from the charity's inception in 2007. Initially, it was thought a play therapist who supported Jessica, who was tube-fed, couldn't sit up and required constant support, including through a uh, a vent or oxygen to breathe. Steve describes the therapist as a ball of energy who became Jessica's best friend. When Jessica's younger brother, Jamie, was born, once again Noah's Ark became a fundamental support to the family. 
a volunteer came to look after Jamie as a baby while Steve or Rachel was getting Jessica ready for bed. As Steve says, that extra pair of hands was invaluable. The family were also regular attendees of the charity's family days, including a memorable day for the whole family at London Zoo. Jessica died in 2010, and it was Noah's Ark's volunteers who came round to the family's house to tidy up and make it nice for guests to come round after the funeral, as well as looking after the children whilst the proceedings were taking place. As Steve says, From that day on, Noah's Ark felt like a part of our family. I had to do something to help, to give something back. Putting on a small fundraiser each year was the least I could do, Noah's Ark were there for us at our lowest point and helped us through. With a decade of fundraising behind him, Steve's total has now reached over £30,000 and he has no plans to stop now. It's a great way to bring my friends together once a year for an amazing cause that helped my family so much. My friends and acquaintances have been so generous we couldn't have done it without them. Alison Goodman, director of fundraising at Noah's Ark, said, It's so humbling that Steve and Rachel have continued to do this fundraising year after year. I could not be prouder that this family, initially supported by the charity, have become such amazing ambassadors. They've turned their story into something immensely positive for so many other children and families. In honour of Steve and Rachel's fundraising contribution, the 31st of January each year, Jessica's birthday, will be marked by the charity as the families pay for a day, meaning that their contribution will run the organisation for that day. Spurs' tower block given go-ahead. Tottenham Hotspur's plans for a 29-storey tower block near the club's new stadium have been given the green light. The football club have won permission to build 330 homes at 867-879 High Road Tottenham, with just under a third classed as affordable. The development will feature seven blocks of flats between three and 29 storeys high, along with a cafe and a public space. Haringey Council's planning chiefs described the proposed development as a well-designed, residential-led, mixed-use scheme that respects the scale and character of the surrounding area. But, at a meeting of the planning subcommittee, campaigners and councillors raised a number of concerns over the development. Paul Burnham, from campaign group Haringey Defend Council, claimed the scheme would price people out who do not have a secure home out of the area. He told the meeting only 11% of the homes would be family-sized and criticised the council for allowing London affordable rent, which is more expensive than social rent, and shared ownership tenures, which require deposits. Mr Burnham said, Most people in Haringey do not have advance payments. That's why the borough does not support using shared ownerships. But Spurs Head of Planning Richard Serra said, For the club... This is another chapter in regeneration, not gentrification, of Tottenham. We find ourselves building more affordable housing than any other partner in the borough. Another spokesman for the club said the housing provision was policy compliant. He pointed out the proportion of affordable homes, when considered by habitable room rather than unit, had been increased from 25% originally planned to 35%. 
councillors were asked to approve detailed plans for two blocks and outline plans for the rest of the development. More details of the outline plans will be submitted at a later stage. Councillor Luke Corley-Harrison raised concerns that the councillors were being asked to approve outline plans for the tower. He said, It is very difficult to make a decision on an outline plan that we know nothing about. Emma Williamson, Haringey's Assistant Director of Planning, told Councillor Corley-Harrison that similar outline applications had been approved by the council, meaning it would not refuse to determine the current one. And now we have a, a comment piece by Dave Robson, who is a life coach, and he's writing about getting back to sleep. And he writes, can't sleep? Have you ever thought of trying Tai Chi? There are times when it seems impossible to get a good night's sleep. Either you're upset about something or angry or maybe you're anxious about something due to be happening soon. An event where you have to rise to the challenge, like a forthcoming theatrical or musical performance. Or perhaps you're just excited at the prospect of something happening tomorrow. Well, there are many things that can keep us awake when we'd rather be asleep. Even when you're physically exhausted, it can seem as if someone forgot to switch off the adrenaline supply and your brain and you just your mind will not switch off. Meditation can work well, but a couple of years ago I discovered something else that works for me every time. Maybe it'll work for you too. And it's called Tai Chi. Tai Chi is actually a martial art that originated in China. You learn various moves and once you've got the hang of them, you execute them in a particular sequence that's been carefully and skillfully devised by a Chinese Tai Chi master. A complete sequence is called a form and there are long forms and short forms. The movements are very slow and gentle and seem in, in this country to appeal mainly to people of a certain age who can't cope with aerobics or gym workouts anymore. It seems especially beneficial to people who have aches and pains, as long as you approach it sensibly. It may feel as if nothing much is happening, but after a while, the subtle beneficial effects can creep up on you when you notice your mood, you're more supple and generally better toned. But more importantly in this context, better balanced in your mind as well as your body, less stressed and empowered to cope with anything that life throws at you without flapping. After some weeks of practice and memorising the moves, you'll improve until eventually you can do at least the short form in about three to four minutes at home, on your own, without the teacher. Sometimes I have to get up in the night to go to the loo. If I'm feeling agitated in any way, I go through the short form I was taught at, at least once in the bathroom, in the darkness, and then as soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm away with the fairies. It seems to work for me every time. If you have a similar problem, why not give it a try? There are many other benefits too, of course. So check out your local leisure centre to see if they offer any classes. That's how I learned. How to be more sustainable at home. With so much emphasis on helping the planet, sustainability is a hot topic, especially when it comes to home life. 
There's lots of ways we can make more sustainable switches at home, and it all adds up. To point you in the right direction here, moneyexpert.com CEO Jason Smith shares 10 top tips for living more sustainably. Number one, switch to a green energy provider. One of the simplest and quickest ways to make a difference to the way you live is to switch to a green energy provider. All of the electricity you use through a 100% renewable tariff is effectively zero carbon. Number two, switch off. Leaving the TV on standby should be a thing of the past. It wastes needless energy and really increases your bills. It's simple. If it's not being used, switch it off. The same applies to lights, heating and any appliance. Having a smart meter in the house in clear view is also a clever way to track which electricity sources use the most energy. Number three, recycle. Recycling couldn't be easier nowadays, so it's a mystery as to why more people aren't taking the time to do so. If you're confused, your local authority website will be able to share details of local recycling policies and what's being done in your area. Number four, eliminate plastic. Encouragingly, Smith says moneyexpert.com's research shows 57% of Brits have used less plastic in the last 12 months. What a huge shift in just a year alone. Eliminating plastic can be extremely tough, however, with more places offering paper bags and household products being more widely available in unpackaged form, things are getting easier. And 39% of Brits revealed their children have asked them about their use of plastic. So again, this is a topic we need to face head on. Number five, get walking. There's no longer any justification for jumping in the car for short journeys. If you can walk to your destination in 20 minutes or less, then take some fresh air. Consider the impact of those short car journeys on the environment and being more active can benefit our health too. Number six, cut down. Whether it's the time spent showering, how long the heating is on full whack, or how much time you spend reboiling the kettle for that cup of tea you still haven't got round to making, all this time and energy adds up. So, if you can shave a few minutes off your morning shower, then consider making that small change. Number seven, turn down the thermo. It's cold outside, there's no denying that, but our bodies are capable of surviving more traumatic things than the weather. Wear an extra jumper, wrap up in a blanket, put your coat on when you're outside so you can feel the benefit. Number eight, light up with LED. Using LED light bulbs is a no-brainer. Not only do they last longer, but they're far more energy efficient than conventional bulbs. Number nine, switch to reusable cups. So many of us need a barista-made morning coffee to begin our day, and it's so encouraging to see the amount of coffee shops who reduce the cost if you bring your own reusable coffee cup. This is such a simple change. And number 10, spread the word. Speaking about environmental issues frequently will help other people to develop more of a green conscience. Setting an example is such a powerful thing. And here's an article from Jamie Dunmore, who's the founder of Integrity Food. It's on helping those most in need. His article's called Feeding the Needy. It is believed that on any given night, around 3,000 people sleep rough in the UK. How is it that in the sixth richest country in the world, so many are without a roof over their head? 
giving these people shelter and the support they need to get back on their feet wouldn't be a bank-breaking expense. But despite great work from charities, it's a problem that just hasn't been fixed. There are still thousands who shiver all night, laid under cardboard next to multi-millionaire million-pound buildings. I feel like you should do what you can to assist people in a tough situation, so I've started a social business to give away meals to those who might otherwise go hungry. For every meal we sell, we give another to a person in need. My business is called Integrity Foods. Integrity with the willingness to get gritty to achieve goals. And currently we're at the Sidings N21 Farmers Market in Winchmore Hill on Sundays where we sell soups, stews and hot pots which are all vegan with no common allergens. We hope to be stocked in shops in the near future so do get in touch to find out where our products can be bought. If you're looking to support us or you can of course come down to the sidings next to Winchmore Hill Station, try some of the food for yourself while helping those in need. Our goal is to give away 468,000 meals by 2022. That's the amount of meals it would take to feed 3,000 people three times a week for a year. Sounds a lot, but there's a lot of people in need and you've got to give it a go. So for more information, do visit Integrity, that's I-N-T-E-G-R-I-T-T, foods.com. And now we have a few sports stories uh, kicking off uh, with uh, Town remain in playoff picture after draw at Folkestone Invicta. Enfield Town picked up a helpful point in a 1-1 draw away at fourth place Folkestone Invicta as they continued their hunt for a playoff spot in the Isthmian League Premier Division. Billy Bricknell's early strike put the Towners in front at the, at the Build Kent Stadium but Ira Jackson equalised on 21 minutes to ensure a share in the spoils. The result means Town are nine points shy of the playoffs, but they have three games in hand on fifth-place Carsholton Athletic and one in hand on both Folkestone and Horsham. There was to be an early let-off for Town when Nathan MacDonald's punched clearance fell to Matt Newman, on the edge of the box, and his effort whistled narrowly over the bar. With six minutes played, though, Enfield Town took the lead when a long kick from MacDonald was caught by the wind and went over the head of the retreating Callum Davis. Bricknell got in behind the defender and, after spotting Tim Roberts off his line, sent a 25-yard lob over the keeper and into the corner of the net. It nearly became two in quick succession for the away side when Ryan Blackman headed narrowly wide from a corner and soon after Ken Charles was only denied by an offside flag. The home side regrouped following that broken down Enfield move and started to come into the game more. Goalscorer Jackson was, was unlucky not to get off on the score sheet earlier than he did when he poked an effort pass towards the goal that came back off the post. He did level things up on 21 minutes, though, when MacDonald could only parry Kieran McCann's drive into Jackson's path, and he made no mistake with a simple finish. Jackson almost turned provider in Folkestone's next attack, but his cutback was missed by everybody in the box before being cleared. Invicta remained on top at the start of the second half and would have gone ahead were it not for MacDonald, who produced an excellent save to keep out a Jackson free kick. Bricknell tried another audacious effort to get Town back in front, 
but goalkeeper Roberts was equal to the lobbed effort this time before he again denied Bricknell minutes later, saving with his legs after the striker had been put through on goal. Two substitutes combined to almost uh, to almost had Town a winner when Lyle Delaverde's cross just evaded Juno Mumbai and the latter had another late effect well saved down low by Roberts, which preserved the one-all scoreline. As the newspaper was going to press, Town were preparing for a trip to struggling Bishop Stortford. And we've got two um, sports articles in a row from you, for you. Um, the first entitled, Borough Lose Fourth in a Row. A 3-0 home defeat to Stotfold extended Enfield Borough's losing streak to four games in the Spartan South Midlands League Division 1 on Saturday. Kieran Barnes, Stephen Brooks and Robbie Buchanan were on target for the inform visitors. They took the lead in the first half when Joe Ryan's cross fell perfectly into the path of Barnes to drill home from inside the 18-yard box. Blessing Chibuka had two good opportunities to draw the host level, but instead Brooks added Stockfold second with a tidy finish in the area. Stotfold got men behind the ball and were content to keep possession in the second half. They finished things off when Buchanan rounded the keeper and slotted home. Defeat leaves Borough 14th in the table and they were preparing for the visit of Milton Keynes Robbins on Tuesday night as this newspaper was going to print. And the second article is entitled Ignatians go up to second after routine hitch in win. Three tries and a penalty saw Enfield Ignatians record a comfortable 24-0 win over Hitchin and move up to second in London 3 Northwest. An early penalty from Jake Bates got them on their way and he provided all three conversions from tries from Frank Antwi, Johnny Dixon and Gareth Rutt. The game took place on the 4G surface at Chesant RFC on Thursday night after the original fixture on February the 29th had been postponed by the weather. Ignatians opted to transfer the fixture to allow the surface at their usual home ground to continue to recover. Ignatians got underway when Hitchin were penalised for holding on and Bates tucked away the penalty and then he calmly slotted over the conversion after Antwi went over from the close range. After going into the half-time break, ahead by 10 points, the hosts went further ahead early in the second half when Dixon went over in the left corner and good interplay between the forwards and backs. They made the game safe with within six minutes of time remaining. Dom Knott ran through and almost added a spectacular solo try, but once he was stopped, Rutt provided the follow-up work to net the third and final try of the game. The win moves Ignatians above Stevenage Town into second, eight points behind Old Streetonians. Head coach Shane Manning said, Hitchin are a forward-oriented side and we set out to test their fitness. We got into some good field positions. However, our finishing was sloppy at times and we probably left four to five tries out on the paddock. Next up for Ignatians is a trip to Royston on Saturday, March the 21st. And here's the final sport report as Salamis closed gap on top after beating league leaders. New Salamis stunning form continued in Division 1 of the Spartan South Midlands League as they defeated tabletoppers St Pantelion 2-0. Phil Lowen gave Salamis the lead in the top of the table clash when Dennis Mehmet beat two players and laid the ball on for him to finish. 
Salamis pushed for another in the second half and they killed the game off when Harris and Giorgio slotted home. Salamis also became the leading scorers in the country at step six level when they thrashed Ampthill Town 10-1 last Wednesday. Both Charlie Georgiou and Artie Krasniki scored hat-tricks while Mehmet added a brace and Andreas Luzu and George Lutuya notched once. Salamis now sit just three points behind St. Palion at the summit behind the leaders are a game behind. As the Enfield Independent was going to print, Salamis were preparing for the visit of Shefford Town and Campton on Tuesday night. Uh, the letters page this week is given over to a variety of good causes. And the first is from Caroline Stevens, who is the chief executive of national, the National Autistic Society. And uh, her letter is headed Raise Autism Awareness. And uh, Caroline says, our charity wants the 2020s to be the decade where society finally starts to work for autistic children and adults. Schools have a key role to play in this, so we'll be inviting them to get involved in World Autism Awareness Week. That runs from 30th of March to the 5th of April. One in every 100 children is autistic, and almost three quarters go to mainstream schools. Most people have heard of autism, but far too few know what it's like to be autistic, both the unique strengths and how hard life can be if you have difficulties communicating or feel anxiety in social situations. We, that's the National Autistic Society, have a range of free resources for schools and their webpage address is autism.org.uk slash S-A-A-W or you could Google National Autistic Society. And their resources include lesson plans, videos and posters. And if any readers work at a local school, um, they might want to pass that information on a good, good source of resources. They're looking forward to working with lots of local schools. Better understanding and support will improve the lives of the 700,000 autistic children and adults in the UK. And this one sounds like a lot of fun. It's from Kate Bunting, Cats Protections Award Organiser, and it's called Cats Can Win Prizes. Cat lovers don't have long left to nominate their furry friends for the biggest event of the feline calendar, the National Cat Awards 2020. Run by the charity Cats Protection, the annual event celebrates the nation's most marvellous moggies with heartwarming tales of devotion, courage and companionship. Owners have until noon on Thursday to nominate their cat in one of five categories. Hero Cat, Cats That Save the Day. Most Caring Cat, Cats That Positively Impact a Person's Health or Well-Being. Forever Friends, Tales of Friendship Between Children and Cats. Outstanding Rescue Cat, Fabulous felines adopted from animal charities and Purina Better Together, celebrating the special bond that has transformed and enriched the lives of both a feline and human. Finalists will be invited to London to follow in the poor steps of Geoffrey, who won National Cat of the Year in 2019 at the National Cat Awards. Geoffrey was a life-changing moggy from Coventry who helped teenager Finn Hackerson, who has Asperger's syndrome, cope with the death of his father. 
the winning cats will be presented with their trophies at a star-studded daytime ceremony at London Savoy Hotel on Thursday the 6th of August. For information, email nationalcatawards at cats.org.uk and anyone wishing to nominate their cat should visit www.cats.org.uk. And here's a letter from James Grant, who's Head of Corporate Funding and Events at SSAFA. And he wishes you to take part in SSAFA. It's the Armed Forces Charities 13 Bridge Walk, which is London's main Armed Forces Day event, to show support for service personnel, veterans and their families. The 13 Bridge Walk will take teams of 20 walkers across the 13 landmark bridges of Greater London, starting at Tower Bridge and finishing at Eelbrook Common for food, drinks and Armed Forces Day fun. The walk is set to be an exciting event along London's riverside with entertainment, cheer points and an odd celebrity along the way. The event will be taking place on Armed Forces Day, that's Saturday, June the 27th, so plenty of time, and will be London's premier Armed Forces Day event. The 10-mile walk is suitable for all, including families of groups of friends, and has a fundraising target of £50 per person, which will go towards supporting serving personnel, veterans and their families. So to find out more how to sign up, head towards www.org.uk. SSAFA.org.uk forward slash 13 bridges. And finally, the final letter comes from Sophie Thompson, the actress, who's talking about the help of incredible mothers. This Mother's Day, I'm thinking about everything women do to give their children the best start in life, like the women in countries such as Malawi, Liberia, and India, who rise early each day to cook and serve food to hungry children in their communities with the charity Mary's Meals. Their dedication epitomises powerful motherly love and it is thanks to them that Mary's Meals is able to feed 1.6 million hungry children around the world every school day. The food they lovingly serve attracts little ones into the classroom, giving them the energy to gain an education that can, one day, be their ladder out of poverty. I am in awe of these incredible women and that's why I'm asking for your readers to send a Mary's Meal gift card to the special woman in their lives on Mother's Day this year. For just £15.90 you can feed a child every day for an entire school year. So please visit marymeals.org.uk forward slash Mother's Day to purchase your gift card in honour of the mums who make Mary's Meals. I have already told my boys this is the gift I will be delighted to receive. And back home to uh, Edmonton Green. We have a story called Go Ahead for Estate Revamp. Hundreds of jobs could be created in one of the most deprived parts of the borough thanks to an industrial estate redevelopment. A £94 million revamp of Montague Industrial Estate will provide modern, energy-efficient buildings for a range of businesses. The scheme is expected to create around 630 jobs and is also aimed at cutting crime and improving the public realm. 
In a report, Enfield Council says the 11-hectare estate is occupied by largely poor industrial buildings, some dating back to the 1950s, and it suffers from congestion. It states that there have been significant antisocial behaviour and illegal and unauthorised activity on the estate, which has had an impact on surrounding residential areas. The redevelopment project was originally approved by the Council's Cabinet in 2016, and since then, planning permission has been granted for Phase 1 of the development, which will provide eight warehouse units with associated offices. Work is due to begin in the spring. The Council will partner with Henry Boot Developments in a 50-50 joint venture to redevelop the site. The scheme is expected to boost the Council's rental income to £4.4 million a year in the long term, which is up from the current yearly figure of £1.2 million. And for news of some arts and entertainment, spring show, and this is at Chicken Shed. Audiences have been dazzled and moved by Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow and 100% Chance of Rain, the shows that have been presented at Chicken Shed's regular spring slot over the last two years. For spring 2020, Chicken Shed presents an artistic response to the urgent question of global migration and investigates the concepts of national and personal identity. This powerful new musical and dance production will offer new perspectives on the forces driving both individual and mass migration, as well as telling the story of affected families. Told with youthful voices, this promises to be an unforgettable piece. And that's a chicken shed chase side Southgate from Thursday the 12th of March to Saturday the 28th of March at various times. And if you would like further details, you can phone 020 8292 9222. That's 0208 292 9222. Or you can contact chickenshed.org.uk. And here's some news about the Spring Fair that returns with food, interiors and fashion uh, to Alexander Palace from Thursday the April the 23rd to Sunday April the 26th and it has an exciting new lineup of the very best of British businesses. The show will be divided into four new themes that's grow, taste, design and make and each sector will be brought to life with over 350 exhibitors all new immersive features and inspiring craft workshops. Visitors can begin their day by discovering insightful and educational talks on topics including growing your own vegetables, beekeeping, building a new business and more. The fair will be equipped with the advice, expertise and the products needed for visitors to get growing for the new decade. Attendees will also be able to shop food for food to shop food artisans, taste delicacies for delicacies from an array of producers showcasing a variety of cuisines in the CL pop-up market and learn how to make delicious seasonal recipes using produce which can be sourced locally or grown at home. Returning exhibitor the Truckle Cheese Company will be at the fair and their Moorish selection of British cheeses and accompaniments while Glenillan Farm will also showcase their delicious range of dairy products including yoghurts, desserts, creams and butters. 
an in-the-kitchen theatre expert speaker, eco-chef, and food waste activist Tom Hunt talks eating for pleasure, people and the planet, whilst great British Bake Off winner Rahul Mandal will share insights into the craft and skill that goes into creating some of the country's most exciting cakes and bakes. Chef Mike Keane, Gracie and Sophie, aka the, aka the Squirrel Sisters, Alex Hollywood, and Lisa Faulkner will also be live on stage throughout the weekend, sharing their foodie expertise and cooking up a storm in that kitchen. Across the show, visitors will be able to learn from designs-led talks and seminars covering interior style trends to interviews with the industry insiders. Masters of Craft and Design Art Cuts will showcase their contemporary range of craft products, gifts and decorations, all designed and produced in their Surrey workshops. And visitors can take part in daily workshops with the team, taking home their unique handcrafted items. Now, two new designers who both won the opportunity to exhibit at the fair will be exciting additions to the lineup. Hestia Blankets was founded by NHS doctor and designer Susie Sterling, who works with Harris Tree, Tweed, and create blankets in the striking contemporary colours. Focusing on sustainability, award-winning Welsh designers Adam Davis and Adam Humphrey boast a range of environmentally friendly products such as lampshades and acoustic wall panels, all created using mushroom composites. Crafters and makers can take part in workshops and masterclasses with talented creators, enabling visitors to make products to take away whilst gaining valuable new skills. New features to the fair also include the Garden Café and the House Beautiful Modern Living Area, presenting a contemporary living zone created and brought to life by the House Beautiful team. Visitors' favourites will also be returning, Fashion lovers can explore the vintage village and recover with a cold re- and recover and the recover with a cold glass of fizz in the champagne lounge. Well, if you're not excited, I certainly am. For more information, visit www.countrylivingfair.com. Before Ros goes away to Alexandra Palace, but with that, we have reached the end of the program for the week. Thank you for listening. And so from the team, Catherine, Ros, me, Patricia, and Dem on the controls, it's bye-bye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet. Put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. Don't forget, you can call Dan the Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 020 8805 6578. And coming up next, the latest news and information from the Greater London area from InfoSound. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be back with you again in one week's time. <laughs>